before Brother Mark went up to sing, he said, this is a perfect song for me to sing. And after hearing the words, you're right, Brother Mark. Uh, you know, the, I firmly believe uh, that God gave me children for no other reason than to give me sermon illustrations. I've shared that with you countless times. When my children were little, er, when they were smaller than they are now, uh, we were broker than we are now, uh, and had no money to fix things around the house, and still don't, uh, but we, I became uh, increasingly more mechanically inclined because of necessity, uh, as, as I was you know, having to fix things, and, and anytime I got out my tools, uh, whether it was Daniel or Nicholas, they would, they would get their tools out. And, and they'd come right alongside of me. And as I was, you know, sawing and hammering and cutting and doing whatever I needed to do, they would take their little saw and their little hammer and their little screwdriver and work right alongside me. And more often than not, they were in the way much more than, than they were helpful. Uh, I, was, I was concerned about them getting hurt. I was concerned about, uh, about them messing up something. And one day as I was as I was working, and I had one of the little ones, I don't even remember which one, under my feet with his little screwdriver, God revealed in a way that only his Holy Spirit can, that in the very same way that this little child is trying to help you, and he's in your way, and, and he is messing things up, and he's slowing you down, Yet you love looking down and seeing him with his tools helping. That's the very same way I feel when you, my children, are trying to help me fulfill the Great Commission. More often than not, we get in God's way with our sin, with our, with our flesh, with our arrogance, with our pride, with us trying to do it our way. Yet God is long-suffering with us. And God works with our failures and in spite of our failures to use us, not because He has to, but because He desires to show us grace and mercy. Thank you very much, Brother Mark. That was so encouraging. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open up to the book of Matthew. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 12 uh, this morning. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sin. But when they saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. 
Do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father, for I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the tree, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who's coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. For he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with the unquenchable fire. Let's pray. God, as we read this passage, as we read in Matthew, Lord, may we hear your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. Lord, may you convict us of our sin. May you reveal to us the desire of your Holy Spirit in this place this morning. May you reveal to us your will that you may find us obedient. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we pray this morning that Jesus indeed would be exalted, that we would live in obedience and that we would be encouraged to love the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. it's interesting Matthew's gospel Mark's gospel John's gospel all omit anything about Jesus's childhood the only gospel that says anything about Jesus's childhood is Luke's gospel and all Luke says is oh by the way Jesus got left in Jerusalem uh, during during the Passover and so all you parents who have lost your children at the supermarket or at Disney World or, or at the mall you're in good company because Mary and Joseph lost Jesus so 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 that's that's something to be encouraged by uh, but they lost Jesus for a whole day uh, they come back and they find Jesus preaching uh, in the temple Jesus teaching in the synagogue uh, and and Jesus said, did you not know I'd be about my father's business? And then we find the statement that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Uh, and then we don't see Jesus again until the baptism. Well, Matthew's gospel doesn't even give us an account of Jesus' childhood. And the question is, is why? Well, the simple answer is because it has no bearing on Matthew's theme. After all, the book of Matthew was written by Matthew. And it was written to the Jews. And it was written to convey Jesus as son of david messiah and so we see that jesus is is proclaimed as the son of david and his childhood has no bearing on that theme and so why would matthew talk about jesus childhood if it doesn't in any way present jesus as the son of david and so what we see here is is matthew jumping right into the story of the gospel and he does so introducing john the baptist Now, it's interesting. Go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. We have 17 verses introducing Jesus, right? Jesus was from, uh, look at at verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus the Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. And then we're going to get 16 verses that tell us to Abraham was born Isaac, to Isaac was born Jacob, and so on and so forth. And we're going to get 17 verses of lineage introducing Jesus. Now, how much lineage do we have introducing John the Baptist? Go to chapter 3, verse 1. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. How much do we have introducing John the Baptist? None. Zero. Zip. Zilch. We get 17 verses introducing Jesus and nothing introducing John the Baptist. Why? Was it because John wasn't important? Not at all. 
The reason is, is because everybody knew John. Everybody. Look at the next verse. Uh, look at, I'm sorry, uh, look at verse 5. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea, and all the districts around the Jordan. Now, when we read verse 5, we say, oh, well, surely the audience is using hyperbole. Surely the audience is using exaggeration. Surely not everybody went out to the wilderness to hear John the Baptist preach. No, everyone went out to the wilderness to hear John the Baptist preach. The, the words and the adjectives used uh, in verse 5 literally communicate that everyone had heard of John the Baptist. Had they not heard his message directly, they had heard his message indirectly. In fact, there is more extra biblical evidence of John the Baptist, his preaching, his teaching, than there is of Jesus. There's more quotes, there's more references to John the Baptist or John the Baptizer in, in extra biblical accounts than there is that Jesus was ever born, ever lived, ever died, ever rose again. There's more extra biblical evidence for John the Baptist than there is of Jesus. This tells us that Jesus needed no introduction. Jesus didn't have to be introduced. A couple uh, a months ago, Sam Thomas came. And Sam Thomas is a, a missionary to India. Uh, he's had, in India, Sam Thomas needs no introduction. When Sam Thomas comes to the United States, he needs an introduction. I stood up here, I told you who he was, I told you where he went to school, I told you, uh, uh, you know, who his dad was, I gave you some, some biographical information. Now, if Billy Graham were to walk up here, I would stand up here and I would say, ladies and gentlemen, Billy Graham. And then I would go sit down. Because he needs no introduction. John the Baptist needed no introduction. Uh, Chris, won't you pull up that quote? <clears throat> this is from this is from Josephus' writing. It says an account of John the Baptist is found in all extant manuscripts of the, the antiquities of the Jews by Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian, and this is what he writes about John the Baptist. Now, some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God, and that very justly is a punishment of what he did against John, that was called the Baptist. For Herod slew him. Who was he? He was a good man. Commanded the Jews to exercise virtue, both as to righteousness toward one another, piety towards God, and so to come to baptism, for the washing with water would be acceptable to him, if they made use of it, not in order of putting away, or the remission of some sins only, but for the purification of the body, supposing still that the soul was thoroughly purified beforehand by righteousness. Now, when many others came, the crowds about him, they were very greatly moved or pleased by hearing the word, Herod, who feared, lest this great influence of John he had over the people, that he might put into power and in, an inclination to raise a rebellion, for they seemed ready to do anything he should advise, thought it best by putting him to death, to prevent any mischief that he might cause, not bringing himself into difficulties, by sparing a man who might make him repent of it, when it would be too late. Accordingly, he was sent a prisoner out of Herod's suspicion, temper. Marcarus, the castle I before mentioned, was there put to death. Now the Jews had an opinion that the destruction of this army was sent as a punishment upon Herod and a mark of God's displeasure upon him. This is a Jewish historian that said that John the Baptist had so much influence that Herod thought that he could incite rebellion, that he could incite a riot because the people were willing to do anything and everything that John said. 
And so for that reason, John had him killed. And all of the Jews believed that Herod was put to death and his army died and his army was defeated because of God's judgment by putting John to death. This tells us some insight into the, the, the importance of John the Baptist. That's why Matthew just says, oh, by the way, John the Baptist, yeah, he came. Gives us no introduction. Now, it's important for us to understand the audience for John's message is indeed all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Judea. He is tremendously popular. Now let's look at John's message. John's message was a call to repentance. Look at verse 2. Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, what did he say? Verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The very first words in John the Baptist's message is what? Repent. Flip over to the book of Mark, chapter 1. Something interesting that we will see that is eerily similar to John the Baptist's message. Verse 15. Verse 14. I'll read verse 14 to you. And after John began taking it, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. What is the gospel of God? Verse 15. And saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. It's interesting. The first word in John's message is repent. The first words in Jesus' message is repent. Go to Acts chapter 2. Hopefully you'll see something similar. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter preaches the message. He spins the Holy Spirit falls upon Peter. Peter. Peter proclaims the gospel message. At the end of his gospel message, he calls the people to action. Look at verse 38. What is his call to action? And Peter said to them, Repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Do you notice a consistency between the message of, of John, the message of Jeter, the, Jesus, the message of Peter? All of the messages, the first words, the, the, the first call to action of the people is to repent, is to turn from their sin. Church, we have, we have so whitewashed the gospel and we have so made the gospel palatable for the world that we have omitted the responsibility of mankind to repent of their sin. We have, we have essentially removed the necessity to repent of sin from the gospel message. And to remove the necessity of repentance is to remove and to change the very essence of the gospel message. The very first words of Jesus' ministry, the very first words of Jesus' gospel presentation was to repent. John the Baptist began, repent. Peter began, repent. So then what does the word repent mean? I'm so glad you asked. The word repent, if you go back to Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 3, the word repent is actually a, a, a Greek word, a combination of, of two verbs, metaneo. And it comes from two words, the first word, meta, which means to change, and the second word, noia, which means the mind or the thought. So the word repent, and, and we've all heard the, 
the message that repent means to turn and go the other direction. And it indeed does. But how and why would we turn, would we be heading in one direction and we would turn and go the very opposite direction? Well, the word repent literally means to change one's thought process, to change one's perception, to change one's understanding. And so, if we are heading in one direction and and our thought process, our understanding, our perception is changed, then naturally our behavior would then be impacted. The word repent carries with it a, a thought or a perception change that in, the, that in turn allows everything else to change in respect. When our thoughts change, our words change. When our thoughts and our words change, our actions change. Notice the progression of John's message. John chapter th- uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look at verse 6. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sin. Confession is made with the mouth. Repent. Change your thought process. Confess Jesus as Lord. Your words then change. Verse 8. Therefore bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. The evidence of true repentance is seen in the lifestyle or the actions that are changed. It's interesting we see the progression. It begins with the mind. Change your thought process. It then manifests itself in the words, confession of sin, and then manifests itself in actions, keeping in the fruit of repentance. Interesting, Romans chapter 12, flip over there. Romans chapter 12, Paul says this, he says, as he is encouraging the Romans, he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, verse 1, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of service. And do not be conformed, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. See, we always think that repentance has to do with actions. That we go one way, we stop doing what we were doing, we turn and we go the other way. And it does. But how is that manifest? How does that happen? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Repentance starts with a changed mind, with a changed thought process, with a changed perception, with a changed understanding. This understanding that that you are not in control, that you are not God, that you must submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus. That there is a higher authority that governs our life. That the world revolves around a central point, and that central point is not me. We must change our thinking. We must change our thought process, and in turn, our words will follow, and in turn, our actions will follow. Repentance is first and foremost an action of the mind. And so what is John saying? He's saying, Change your thought process. It is no longer this this old sacrificial system with the temple and the law. Repent 
change your mind for the kingdom of heaven is at hand there is a new king and he is coming and he is ushering in his kingdom repent change the way you're thinking it's no longer about abraham isaac and jacob it's no longer about being the sons of abraham and being the sons of david and being the people of israel change your thinking people the kingdom of heaven is at hand interestingly enough matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven trivia question who else what other new testament author uses the phrase kingdom of heaven answer no one no one matthew's the only author that uses kingdom of heaven why who's matthew writing to the jews what were the jews very peculiar about was the name of god They would not say the name of God. They would not write the name of God for fear that they would somehow mispronounce it. They would somehow defame the name of God. And so Matthew, understanding his audience, is being very careful what he says. It carries the exact same meaning to the Jews. But in order to to avoid offending them, in order to avoid sticking his foot in his mouth, he says, you know what, I'm not even going to go there. We're just going to call it the kingdom of heaven. It's going to carry the same weight it's going to carry the same meaning and i'm going to preserve i'm going to preserve the credibility for my audience and so matthew refers to it as the kingdom of heaven repent for the kingdom of heaven is near is at hand the kingdom refers to a reign or a realm of the king if i were to tell you the king is coming immediately there are things that 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 come into our mind what is meant by the king what is meant by the kingdom what is meant by the 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 this realm or this reign of the kingdom in the time that jesus entered the world in the time of john the baptist the jews were very much expecting a literal king it's interesting in all of the gospels the message of the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of god is all future the kingdom is coming the kingdom of god is coming the kingdom of heaven is at hand the kingdom of god is near the kingdom of it it was all future in acts however let us look go with me if you will to uh, acts chapter 8 and let's hear how philip as he brings the gospel message to the samarians to the samaritans how does he reference the kingdom of heaven chapter 8 verse 12 philip in samaria but when they believed philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of god in the name of jesus they were being baptized men and women alike all of a sudden philip is not preaching the kingdom of god is near the kingdom of god is coming the kingdom of god is at hand but philip says we are preaching about the kingdom of god here now in the gospel in in the book of acts the kingdom of god is present it is not future it is not coming in the book of matthew mark luke and john the kingdom of god is coming it is going to come jesus is bringing with him the kingdom of god the kingdom of god is at hand the kingdom of heaven is near in acts the kingdom of god is here it is present so what took place what happened the king showed up the king stepped into time 
and assumed his role as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus was very clear that his kingdom is not of this world. Yet we see John making the statement in all four Gospels, repent, change your thinking, because the king is about to enter into his reign. The king is about to set up his realm. It's interesting that as Jesus' closest followers, his closest disciples, even on the eve of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, John and James, the sons of thunder, come to Jesus. And they elbow him and nudge him. Hey, Jesus, look, whenever you set up this whole kingdom thing, you know, let, let, let me sit on your right hand and my brother sit on your left hand as you come into your kingdom. The thief on the cross looked at Jesus and said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. It was a very real, palatable understanding that, that Jesus was the king and that he was coming into his authority. He was coming into his reign. He was coming into the realm that he would rule. The only problem is for the disciples, they thought that rule and that reign was here on this earth. They thought that that rule and that reign was, was a literal rule with, with physical people, with physical crowns, with a, with a physical boundary. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would fight for me. The king is about to set up his thinking, is about to set up his throne, therefore change your thinking. That's what John's message says. So what was it what event took place that, that took this kingdom of heaven from past tense to present tense? What took place? Acts chapter 2, verse 36. John said, change your thinking, repent. Metaneo, repent. Change your mind, change your perception, change your understanding, for the king is coming. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is near. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. This is what took place. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, make no mistake about it. Jesus was always king. He was always Lord. But God, at this point, made him both Lord and Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name every knee should bow in earth, under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What was it that took place? Verse 8. Being found in the appearance of man, he became humble becoming obedient to the point of death, death upon the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. What was it that took place that, that made the kingdom that was past tense become present tense? It was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It was that moment that Jesus was exalted. That moment that Jesus was given the throne, that moment that God exalted him, that moment that God set him up as the king and said, all of the earth, 
all of this world, everything in earth, under the earth, and in the head, everything is under your control. And at that name, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And who gave him that position? God did. Not us. God did. So, what is our responsibility when the king comes? Simply to bow in submission to the king. That is the only response of a subject before his sovereign is to bow. The only response of a sinner before the king is to change the way we think, to change the way we speak, to change the way we live. Why? Because he is king and there is no other. What changed? Jesus was exalted. John chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus was always Lord, but something happened that made this Lord king. John chapter 3. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. Verse 14. And he said, as Moses is lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes on him may have eternal life. What was it that that took this kingdom from that which was coming to that which is? The Son of Man was lifted up on a cross, was buried, three days later, rose victorious over sin, death, and the grave. God has made this Jesus both Lord and King. And so the question for us is, will we repent and submit to him? Will we change our thinking? Will we understand that that he is king and we are not? Will we change the way we think and therefore consequently change the way we act in submission to him? Or will we continue to live in defiance of this king? That's a question that that I cannot answer for you. That's a question that you must answer for you. Will you heed the message of John the Baptist? Will you repent? Will you change the way you think and consequently change the way you live? Why? Because Jesus is king. And there is no other. You know, the message of the gospel is very clear. We are born into this world sinners. We are born into this world with, with a problem of exalting self above all else. And that way of thinking, Proverbs says in chapter 14, that there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. And Jesus said, while we were yet, Paul said, while we were yet sinners in Romans chapter 5, 8. And the language actually conveys a, an idea. It, 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 is a, it is a participle which contains the idea of a continuing action of sin. While we were continuing in sin, while we were continuing to, to rebel against God and to hate God, Romans 5, 8 
that while we were yet sinners, while we were continuing in sin, while we were continuing to hurl insults at God, God demonstrated his great love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were exalting self above all else, while we were lusting after the pleasures of this world, Christ died for us and was exalted to the right hand of the Father, that he is king, and our response is simple, to change the way we think and submit to the lordship of Jesus. That's the message of the gospel in Matthew. He's telling the Jews, change the way you think and follow this Jesus. Let's pray. God, the message of the gospel is clear. That we must change the way we think. That there is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. Lord, change the way we think. There's some out there this morning who've been seeking, who've been seeking success, they've been seeking this world, they've been seeking pleasure, exalting themselves above all else. And your gospel commands them to change the way they think. If that's you this morning, I'm going to invite you to repent. Recognize that Jesus is King, that Jesus is Lord, and submit your life unto Him. Understanding that His death paid the penalty for your sin. And if you'd confess your faith in Christ, that you shall have eternal life. There are some of you who've trusted in Jesus, but you've been trying to live your life on your own, under your own strength, under your own power. John says, change the way you think. Paul said, I would rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may richly dwell within me. Paul says, I do not on any account consider my life dear to myself. Paul says, I count all things to be lost compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord. For which I count all things to be rubbish compared to knowing you. Maybe you're a believer, maybe you've trusted Jesus, but you need to change the way you think. Lord, may today be the day of repentance where you change our mindset that we may follow you in obedience. We pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would move in and amongst us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.